With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey there, Duke fans. It is time for another edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am your host, Jason Evans, coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia, where earlier this week, as you know, I uh, watched the Blue Devils defeat Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And then this weekend, they crushed, destroyed, stole the soul of the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. We'll be getting to that. We'll be looking ahead. We'll be talking about other issues in college basketball and around the ACC. Joining me, as always, from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Donald Wine, how you doing, Donald? Good. Uh, Jason, I, thanks for, we, you know, for those of you guys out there, you guys know that we have, sometimes have some random times that we recorded, and I, we were talking about recording early this morning, uh, but I was stuck in Chicago with a winter storm canceling at least four flights I had uh, yesterday that were canceled, uh, so Ooh, I didn't get back until fun. just – yeah, it, it, it sucks, but it was, it was fine. I eventually got back uh, about a couple hours ago to D.C., so uh, that's why we're kind of doing this, but because of that, I think we're – we're missing uh, our our other partner in crime, we're Sam. Missing who... Sam. So we think we're not sure. We don't have all the evidence yet. We think that Sam has been swallowed by Bangkok, Thailand. Um, <laughs> sort of like Hangover Two, um, Bangkok has him. We we can't. We we can't thought confirm. he was going to be on this call. <laughs> we thought he was going to be here. He's not here. We're texting him and he's not replying. You know, it's also like I mean, three in the morning or two thirty yeah, in the morning for him. So he could be sleeping or. Who knows? We, I'm sure we'll get a good story when the time comes. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, by the way, I also want to thank our sponsors, Bird Campbell, the law firm out of Texas and Florida. You know their story. You know to visit them. B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. Bird Campbell means business, and we mean business as well. The Blue Devils especially meant business against the Wake Forest Demon Deacons in a game that really was not competitive from almost the opening tap. Duke wins 90 to 59. They were ahead 49 to 23 at halftime. Anytime you're doubling your opponent at halftime usually means you're playing pretty good basketball. Scoring 90 points, great offense. Giving up 59 points, great defense. Um, the story of this game was definitely that uh, Duke was uh, a truly dominant team in this game. Donald, tell me, you know, I don't know whether you want to start on the offensive end, the defensive end. What, what was it that impressed you the most about Duke's win over Wake Forest? Well, I'll start off with this. It was such a balanced, like, demolition from both sides. I, I feel like one side didn't really outplay the other. We, it's not like our offense was carrying the day. It wasn't our defense that was carrying the day. They both were spectacular uh, last night. So uh, that's really good to see. I love that. I'm going to start with Trey Jones because 
Trey Jones, obviously we talk a lot about him on this podcast, but last night I think he did something a little spectacular in the sense that he, from the opening tip, decided he was going to be the guy as far as scoring was concerned. Uh, he led the team with 23 points, which is not something he hasn't done before. He's he scored in the 20s before. He also had five assists. He had four steals. Really hey, commanded. Hey, let let, let me ask you something. Do you think I felt like Trey was hunting his shot um, more than usual? I mean, look toward the end of his playing time in the second half, he was feeling it <laughs> when he took that <laughs> when he took that running three pointer on the fast break, one handed, one footed three. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, that's a guy who's like, hey, the basket looks like it's as big as the whole damn stadium right now. Um, but do you feel like he was hunting his shot more than usual? And let me follow up with uh, additionally, like, is this is this a transition? Is this a new thing we're seeing from Trey Jones, or is this a one game thing? Because I haven't really. Uh, We've seen, like you said, we've seen him score before. We haven't seen him score quite like this, quite this aggressively. Yeah, he was definitely aggressive last night. We've seen him be aggressive at times, but I, I don't think it was uh, necessarily him hunting his shot. You know, sometimes when I hear the words hunting, uh, hunting your shot, I think someone who is in a shooting slump and is trying to get out of it. That's not this case, right? He, he's been shooting fairly well the last few games, but I think he was overly aggressive on offense because I think personally, you know, like we said, every single game, the the hero, the unsung hero, the the star of the game is usually coming from a different person every single night. And I think Trey Jones saw something in Wake that said, I can be aggressive on offense and get the shots that I want. He drove to the basket a lot. He was, you know, he he was very good in transition. And sometimes he was even leading the transition. And, and, and usually he's the one that's distributing. And sometimes he was the one leading the break. So I think when it comes to that, his aggressiveness last night was really good in the sense that he he was still playing within the means of the game and it was still coming to him. Well, but wait, but do you think it was a one, like you said, hey, we have a different hero every game. I'm with you on that. That's one of the, been one of the hallmarks of this team. It's one of the really cool things about this club. We could go down the roster and mm-hmm. go, hey, remember when that guy scored 20? Remember when that guy had the great game? Remember when that guy was our leader with literally every single guy who plays? What I'm wondering is there aren't a lot of guys on this team who I feel like I could go, you know what, that guy could just decide to be that guy every single game if he wants to. I mean, Vernon Carey to some extent because we build our offense around getting him the ball, but it's sort of different if you're talking about a guard. Do you think this is the start of Trey trying to do that on a more consistent basis? I Consistent, probably not. And I don't say that to be mean. I say that because I think the different games that we have seen require him to do something different. And I think this time around, like I said, I think he was able to be aggressive and it worked in his favor. Sometimes he may have to be aggressive with distributing the ball because someone else gets out or whatever the circumstances may be. I do think we'll see it down the line again. I do think we'll see another a couple more instances this year where Trey oh, Jones yeah. decide he's going to go for sure. For 20. And and it may be, again, it may be where the situation calls for it. But again, like you said, the offense for the most part starts with going around Vernon Carey and getting him his points and establishing the inside. Last night, we did that for maybe like three or four minutes. And then all of a sudden, Trey was like, okay, my show and and took over from there. (laughs) (laughs) So I I, I don't think we're going to see that every single game. Yeah. By the way, if you had, um, Jordan Goldwire, Joey Baker, and Jack White outscoring Vernon Carey in your predictions for this game. Pl- please go to Las Vegas right now. Please play the lottery because you know way more about the- for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know way more about the future than I do because I did not see that coming at all. Um, I, 
So I'll say regarding this stuff about Trey Jones, um, obviously we need to see more than one game to know whether, uh, you know, this is going to become a more consistent thing from Trey. I mean, look, uh, literally four days ago against Georgia Tech, he took, I want to say it was seven shots from the field. Uh, Yeah, he was five of seven. And against Wake Forest, suddenly he takes 15. He's 10 of 15. Um, By the way, super efficient week for Trey. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, so I want to see where we go. But uh, if this is an inflection point, if this is Trey Jones suddenly deciding, I have confidence, I know I can hit three pointers, I know, you know, I know I can knock down those mid-range jumpers. That's what I think was so effective for him. I mean, yeah, he hit three out of four three pointers, and that's awesome. And the NBA scouts probably are like, "Ooh, show me a little more of that, Trey." Um, but to me, it was those it was those mid-range pull-up shots, the, those shots mm-hmm. he takes between eight and 14, 15 feet that that he was hitting so effectively that are almost impossible to stop. If we see Trey becoming more and more of that guy, if we see Trey getting up and shooting 12, 15 shots per game on a consistent basis, I think that's a very interesting development for this Duke team. And I think it could be a really good development um, uh, because uh, the other guys get time. The other guys get their chances. Having someone that the other team needs to go, okay, how, what do we fig- how do we figure out this guy? How are we going to deal with this um, I think it's a really important thing for this Duke team as we continue to try to push toward become uh, towards towards becoming the most the best team in the land. I mean, we're probably we're right on the cusp, if not there already. But um, you know, obviously, March and April, uh, you still got to keep on improving as you as you push towards those. I think the one thing, just real quick, I think the one thing about Trey Jones's game that I think he should be more aggressive with going forward and be more consistent with is that mid-range jumper that you were talking about that tend like he used to he would drive the lane and he would almost like draw the defender as if to say I'm going to pass it to this guy underneath the basket but it would leave like a five foot gap and he'd stand right at the free throw line and just pop it in every single time you saw Matthew Hurt do that a couple times too when he would drive the lane as well and it's about being in a position where you can do multiple things you can drive you can pass or you can shoot if he's getting in that position every time and he's getting that space, he can be more aggressive with popping that that 15 footer because again, that's next time that guy, that defender has to draw nearer to him and that opens up a passing lane for someone else to to make a basket. So I want to move on from uh, talking about Trey to talking about the defense for a moment. This was so uh, you know, like I mentioned, Duke gives up 59 points in this game. This was the I, uh, I'm trying to look at my notes. It was the seventh consecutive game. The Duke has held the opponent under 65 points. Um, uh, that that's the longest streak since 2003, 2004, um, and and there are only two streaks. I was you know my my notes that I get from the Duke athletic department. There are only two longer streaks than that in the entire Coach K era. So this team is really playing defense at you know at a borderline unprecedented kind of level. Um, uh, Wake committed 17 turnovers. Um, you know, that's 11 times this season, five straight games where Duke's opponents have committed more than 15 turnovers and, you know, having nothing to do with stats like scoring more, uh, you know, total points scored and, uh, and turnovers. I, I just thought Duke's defense forced wake into bad shot after bad shot, um, our help defense, you know, we, we talk a lot about the pressure that, that Trey Jones, and Jordan Goldwire and Cassius Stanley and some of the other perimeter defenders are able to put on other teams. I, I, I noticed in this game, our big men do such a great job of hedging and helping and then recovering um, and, and double teaming. I mean, like what we did to Brandon Childress, poor Brandon Childress. 
I mean, this is like this is probably Wake's best player. Got the head of the snake. <laughs> exactly. We talked about it a couple of days ago, and you were a hundred percent right about that. Brandon Childress goes zero for six on the game. Um, he commits four turnovers. You know, for your best player to not score a single point, scoreless, and and to commit four turnovers, you know, if you're Wake Forest, you're doomed. And and Duke does that so so well. But I I, I feel like Jack. So as I watched the game, and I was watching our big men hedging. I, that's what I was initially talking about. Um, I saw Jack White and Javin Delorier, who are just like they're freaking masters. I mean, they've been doing it for four years now. These guys these guys play really good big man defense. Um, and then, and, and so I was noticing and they're quick that, enough to recover. Like, yeah. you know, the hedge the doesn't mean anything if you can't get back to your space you're supposed to, you're supposed to recover to. And they're doing exactly. that very well. I was watching them do it for a little bit. And then Matthew Hurt and Vernon Carey came back in the game. And so I was like, I was, I'm like, I'm going to pay real attention to see if it's just, you know, Jack White and Javin Delorier who do this really well, or if the, the freshman big men are, are going to do it really well. I think that, that Jack and Javin have been teaching these guys because, because I saw good, it wasn't quite as good. But uh, Vernon Carey and Matthew Hurt are also doing a really, really nice job at the hedging. At at it's just making teams frustrating teams, forcing them into bad shots, bad possessions, shot clock violations, or desperation shots. To, you know, just to beat the shot clock at the last moment. And I mean, you know, Duke's Duke's like number three, number four in defensive efficiency. Uh, when you're as good on offense as we are and as good on defense as we are, hey, there's the formula. That's how you're the best team in the country. Wake Forest finished with 59 points, and as you said, at, at halftime, they only had 23. They would have had less than 50 points if they hadn't got out to that really hot start to start the second half. They ended up shooting 50% from the floor in the second half. But in the first half, there was two things that I saw that they were doing that Duke was doing very, very well and very consistently on defense. First thing is they were making people take a shot that they didn't want to take. If if a guy wanted to make a 15-footer, they made it, we made them take a 20-footer. If they wanted to shoot a three, we made them drive the lane and shoot, you know, a 15-footer, whatever that was. And inside the paint, our guys were spectacular last night at being able to make the guys miss close range shots without fouling. And that's by remaining tall, you know, jumping up, being long, getting rebounds, or even just tipping the ball back out. There's a couple of times where Wake Forest would get a couple of second chance opportunities, but the guys would hold strong by remaining tall, being right in their face. And even in the second half, when they had that hot streak, it wasn't like they were making open jumpers. It was Jordan Goldwire in people's faces, and someone would hit a three over it. Things that were you're like, okay, they're 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 overdue for that, but. The, the whole physicality of being in your face, heads up six inches from your face defense, and making them make a decision that they don't want to do is something that they did really well last night. We've been doing it well all year, but I thought that was the, one of the better performances on defense all season. Yeah, you talked about the block shots, and um, so Duke blocks, I think it was eight shots in this game. Uh, Duke is the 10th in the nation in block shot percentage. Um, yeah, it, it's, I keep on saying it. It's, it's just tremendously impressive the way this team is able to put so much pressure on teams on the perimeter and yet have such good backline defense when teams are able to break it down and get close to the basket, uh, you know, our ability to contest shots there. Um, you know, I, I don't know how coach K does this with, with a roster that is, you know, so turned over, um, 
Uh, yeah, he's got Trey Jones back. Yeah, uh, Javin and Jack are fourth-year players. Although, you know, neither one of them, uh, they're they're they they have not been huge huge players in the program of their entire careers. Same with Alex O'Connell. Um, it, you know, for us to put together a defense that's this good as quickly as we have is, uh, you know, it's a great testament to what the coaching staff has done. And God, if you're if you're a Duke opponent, if you're the rest of the ACC. Aren't you, you know, you're looking at some of these scores, you're looking at, you know, the results of these games, the way Duke is beating teams, you got to be like, I can't, uh, you know, they're, they're probably wondering, can, can we figure out a way to, to, to crack this nut? I don't know that they can. Yeah, this is not like Virginia winning 45 to 43 or, you know, 59 to 56. We're, we're limiting them to that, those type of points, and then we're scoring 90. And if you, if you could do that, there's very few teams that are going to be. Forget about it. Forget about it. All right, so we talked a little bit about uh, what Duke did last week. Let's look ahead to what Duke is doing this coming week. First up for the Blue Devils will be a trip down to Clemson. Um, and before we get to, you know, hey, Donald, this is becoming a theme with us. Last <laughs> week, before we previewed the Georgia Tech game, we were like, Georgia Tech beat UNC. That was amazing. So before we preview the Clemson game, hey, Clemson beat Carolina. Oh, my but wait, God. But wait, this, was, yes. this wasn't just any, any victory. No. This wasn't just any victory. Tell them, <laughs> tell them people what they won. Uh, oh, man, what they won was the the very first victory in the history of Clemson basketball in the state of North Carolina. Oh, not in the state of North Carolina, but in Chapel Hill. Um, uh, Clemson had been 0 for 59 in uh, in North Carolina, and uh, they are now 1 for 59. Um, it, it made national news. You know, I uh, ordinarily a game between two teams that are struggling to 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 get to or stay at 500 would not be on SportsCenter. Uh-uh. ESPN was all over this one, um, and uh, you know it was a it was an epic failure by Carolina. <laughs> um, I mean, look, UNC is not good this year. We're we're all aware of that, especially without Cole Anthony. I guess we you know we're still. I guess maybe the jury's out a little bit on what they'll be when Cole Anthony, if he decides to come back, if he does come back. Um, but uh, but still, I think most people expected them to to beat Clemson because um, Clemson's not very good this year either. And Carolina was leading by ten with two minutes left. Um, it's just a crushing defeat. And I will say this for Roy Williams. We, we ragged on Roy last week for, for just, you know, absolutely throwing his team under the bus and saying, I keep on telling them what to do and they don't do it. Um, at least uh, I th- did you watch his press conference? I, I watched his press conference and I felt like it was Roy taking the blame. I mean, he said, uh, he said he should be fired. Um, he, you know, he said that he told Bubba Cunningham that they, that, that, you know, Roy should not be allowed to coach Carolina anymore. He said that the ending of the game was was all his fault. Um, look, uh, Clemson got the ball down three points with less than ten seconds left, or something like that. And mm-hmm. and and the announcers were saying what I was saying, which is, you know, if you're Carolina, foul them. Don't don't let them take a don't let them get a shot at a three to tie the game. Why would you let them take a last second, you know, three pointer to tie the game? But lo and behold, Carolina did and. Clemson went ahead and tied it up, but it was an absolute. It was a situation where most well-coached teams just foul a guy and let him take a couple free throws. And he mentioned, yeah, Roy mentioned in his press conference that you know when he was at Kansas, that 
a similar situation happened and they and he didn't instruct his team to foul and they ended up losing. It was he said it was against Kansas State and he said he ended up losing that game and he said no matter what at the you know after that he said he always made sure to tell his players to foul if they were ever in that situation and he mentioned that right when they broke the timeout uh, with 10 seconds left he said and the ball was coming up across half court he goes I forgot to tell him and that's on me and so he he took it pretty hard as far as you know yeah. coach like it was a complete 180 like you said from the previous press conference that we discussed the, uh, last week but it was definitely one where he he said, fire me. He said, Bubba, fire me. Um, and he said it was his lowest <laughs> point as a coach. Yeah. I, I mean, this season is definitely wearing on him. And, uh, you know, Roy Williams has been around for a long, long time. He is he is still tied with Dean Smith for the fourth most wins all time. They've been tied now for, I think it's three games in a row. The entire three. decade. <laughs> yes, you are correct. You are correct. The entire decade. Oh, boy. Um, I, I, actually, did you see the tweet by Sports Channel 8? Which was, oh, so Sports Channel 8 tweeted and said, Roy Williams has now broken the tie with Dean Smith for most losses to Clemson in Chapel Hill. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> That's brutal. That and then was- someone responded with, but he's, he still isn't the first player or first coach to uh, lose a regulation. Right, because they lost in overtime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh, folks, if you have not been to Twitter and just, you know, like search around a little bit, there are – Carolina's being roasted and roasted hard. Anyway, <laughs> enough of that. In terms of Duke, because this is the Duke Basketball Report podcast, it is not the Hating Carolina Report podcast. It feels that way sometimes, but <laughs> in terms of Duke, we face the the Clemson Tigers this week. We go to Clemson, um, and uh, you know, folks, a couple things I want you to look out for in this game. First of all, you should know. Uh, so this Clemson team looked like they were headed to the bottom of the ACC. They lost six out of seven games from Thanksgiving to New Year's. They weren't necessarily losing games to teams that are great teams, not bad teams, but they weren't losing to like, you know, it wasn't like they suddenly played six teams that are all going to be making the uh, sweet 16. Um, it looked like they were in real trouble. And then since New Year's, they've gotten a win over NC state and a win over North Carolina. And they're, they're feeling the triangle here. Um, if, if you're Clemson, you're loving the triangle. Um, but I should point out, aside from those two victories, they do not have another. Clemson does not have another single victory over a team in the top half of the college basketball world. Um, they are not super deep, this Clemson team. They mostly play about seven players, maybe eight. Their best player is six eight, Amir Sims, who uh, is going to be a really interesting matchup for Duke. I mean, this is a this is a guy who's he's six eight two forty. This is a a big man. Um, but he can really shoot outside. He hit the the game tying three pointer. Um, he 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 shoots a pretty fair number of threes for them. Um, they tend to try and run their offense through him as much as they can. Um, but because of his bulk, because he's 240 pounds, he can bang on the inside as well. I, I, and he's he pretty much plays power forward for them. I think he's a tough matchup for Matthew Hurt. Um, I think that if Hurt goes outside with him, he'll probably try and put the ball on the floor and go around him. Um, if he goes into the post, I think he's. Matthew Hurt is not super strong in the post yet, um, and, and you may see Sims, um, you know, really trying to to abuse Hurt in the post. I think we, you know, we've seen Matthew Hurt's minutes rise in recent games um, with with Jack White playing less and less. I think this may be a game where we see a little more of Jack. I think Jack White is a great matchup for for Amir Sims. I mean, a really solid matchup for him, and one that could could cause you know a a, a fair bit of of problems for. 
for Clemson. The other thing is a lot of the time, Amir Sims is the biggest guy on the floor for Clemson. So it's, it's entirely possible that we will see um, uh, Vernon Carey covering him some. And I actually think Vernon Carey, you know, cause Vernon Carey has a little more bulk. I think Vernon Carey would have a better chance against him. At, you know, uh, uh, yes, Amir Sims can shoot three pointers, but he's not going to, he's not going to, you know, bomb away. He's not going to take eight, 10, three pointers in the game. Um, uh, and so I, you know, I, I I feel like he's the guy. We talk about the head of the snake. He's the head. He's the he's the head of the snake that we've got to cut off against against Clemson. And then the other thing you really need to know about Clemson is this is a team that takes a lot of three pointers. They're twenty fifth in the nation in three point rate, um, and they give up a lot of three pointers. Like they don't mind packing it in and having you shoot over them. They're among the bottom ten, like bottom five teams in the nation in terms of three pointers allowed, not in terms of the number of hit. By, but in terms of the number of three-point field goal attempts allowed. Um, and the kind of crazy thing is, even though they take a lot of them and even though they give up a lot of them, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily hit a ton of them. They only shoot about 32% from three, but that's kind of their offense. Their offense is, we're just going to bomb away. We're going to shoot as much as we can from the outside and occasionally dump the ball into Amir Sims, and we'll see what happens from there. So that's, that's what to look forward to, I think, against Clemson. It feels like... Um, one of those games Duke's probably going to be – it's on the road, and, and there's no such thing as an easy road game in the ACC, but Duke's probably going to be 10, 12-point favorite, somewhat similar to the line we had against Georgia Tech probably. I, I wouldn't expect – I don't think Clemson is as good as Georgia Tech. Look, anybody can have an inspired game, can rise up and play really, really well. Uh, I'd, I'd be kind of surprised, though, if Clemson's really able to hang with Duke. It just doesn't feel like they've got um, – doesn't feel like they've got the right kind of horses to keep up with us offensively, and I, I think that uh, I think that our defense is going to cause problems for them. Look, we cause problems for almost everybody. You got anything on Clemson, or do you want to take me to the next preview? Well, I, real quickly, I think that was a good shout that you made about us probably seeing more of Jack White. I I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, Jack White and Vernon Carey shift off on Sims, depending on whether he's lining up inside or lining up on the outside. Because Jack White, like you said, he's able to bring in, you know, bang a little bit in the post with someone that size but also vernon carey on offense i think sims is going to want to draw vernon carey on offense or i'm sorry for, for him on defense and i think that's where vernon carey can maybe get him into foul trouble get him to the bench and that's another way of of limiting uh, the success of sims and making other people win but i will say about little john little john is normally a pretty de- decent place to play especially for us uh it, it's one of those things that We've been shocked there before, and this is one of those games that could be viewed as a trap game with Louisville looming uh, on Saturday. So I want to see their heads focused from opening tip like they were on Saturday against Wake Forest. If they come out like that, Clemson's going to get blown out of the water pretty quickly. But if we see them hanging with them or, or playing you know, a little bit well or with the, with the high and the emotion of uh, their win in Chapel Hill this past weekend, then that's going to be something to, of, of concern. So that's what I'm looking for. Uh, on Tuesday night. So the last thing I'll say really quickly about Clemson is the game is on Tuesday. Um, unless you've been uh, hiding under a rock on Clemson has some other very important business to take care of on Monday. They play in the college football national championship game. I, I really wonder how that may impact the atmosphere and the mood at Tuesday's game. If um, it, first of all, it may be that a lot of Clemson folks are a little partied out um, whether win or lose, no matter what happens. Um, if you're a Clemson fan, that, that Monday night is a big deal for you, <laughs> a really big deal. Um, and so I wonder how that you know may impact A, who's at the game on Tuesday and how excited they are and all those other kind of things. And, and then you, know, you just kind of wonder, is there going to be some complete campus 
hangover. Um, because like I said, regardless of the result that, you know, there's so much energy on that campus going into Monday night, will they be able to, to bring the energy back up on Tuesday night for a Duke game? Um, you know, on, on the other hand, they got to be up because they just broke the endless losing streak at North Carolina. They probably feel like they can do anything right now. Hey, they're, they're two and three in the ACC. They're not like, it's not like their season's over. They're not out of it. They've, they've picked up a couple of consecutive wins. If Clemson football wins on Monday night, it'll be very easy for them to get up on Tuesday night. Let me tell you, um, I'm not worried. Yeah. I don't think I'd be worried about that. But I, I will say, you know, off topic, that is going to be one monster of a game uh, on Monday night. So I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, I, I do think that will have some effect on how the crowd is on Tuesday night at Little John. All right, Clemson's not the only opponent next week. Arguably the toughest game left on the Duke schedule. Um, eh, you know, Louisville, Florida State, at Virginia. Those are sort of the three Those are the three games you got to have circled if you're a Duke fan right now, plus Carolina games. But in terms of quality of opponent, um, the Blue Devils face the Louisville Cardinals. We remember what happened last year. Absolutely epic, unbelievable comeback by the Blue Devils um, at, at Louisville. Uh, but it is worth noting, the only way you get to have an absolutely epic, unbelievable comeback is because the other team had your number and had you down in a very, very big way. So this Louisville team looked like the kind of team, it was the kind of team that could absolutely take out the Zion Williams and R.J. Barrett Blue Devils. How, Donald, how do you think the uh, Trey Jones, Vernon Carey version of the Blue Devils will fare against Louisville this year? Well, I like this matchup only because I think it's a very difficult one. It's, it's probably going to be our best test of the year in terms of matchups because you know Louisville scores a lot of points they have good defense they have great rebounding they match up with Duke in a lot of categories they're physical on the ball and this is going to be a big test in Cameron on Saturday night so obviously Jordan Wara national player of the year candidate uh, all ACC preseason ACC player of the year he is their man he goes he's all he goes for almost 21 a game and also collects like seven and a half rebounds a game. Dwayne Sutton is their guy on the inside. He's going to be physical uh, with Vernon Carey. He averages nine rebounds a game. So we have guys that match up with ours pretty well. I think where we need to be, you know, efficient and, and be excellent is in two areas. Take care of the basketball and be strong with it on offense. You know, again, Louisville traditionally likes to be physical on defense and, you know, we need to make sure that we can handle that. But on, on our defense, we're on defense, the pressure D up, up top, Trey Jones and Jordan Goldwire is going to be essential because they're going to, their goal is going to be to keep the ball out of Jordan Wara's hands and make other people try to beat us. The battle of the night, I think, like I said, Vernon Carey versus Dwayne Sutton, good physical battle. If we could get Dwayne Sutton into foul trouble, that'll help. But it's really going to go a long way towards determining who controls the paint in this game. We average both about 41 rebounds a game. We're both very good rebounding teams, and especially we're very good with offensive rebounding. So if someone's controlling the paint, I think they're going to start controlling this game. And I think it's going to be one that's going to be, you know, down to the wire. You know, one team wins by three or four. It's going to be one of those things where every possession matters. And if we take care of the basketball, we'll have a good chance of winning. Uh, look, one of the things I'm looking for that I think could be really interesting, th this Louisville team is, is a very, very – their best attribute is their defense. And uh, Stephen Enoch, uh, Malik Williams, 
Jordan, Jordan Wara, Dwayne Sutton. These are all guys who are very, very good at blocking shots, at getting a hand in your face and forcing you into a bad shot. Um, you know, uh, there, there are a number of things that Louisville does really, really well. <coughs> there are a number of things that Louisville does really, really well. And, and I would argue that blocking shots and, and contesting your shots are, are, are probably the two things that they do best. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see how, you know, Vernon Carey, how Vernon Carey does on the inside against guys who, who are as big as he is, if not bigger, and, and guys who are excellent, excellent shot blockers. Um, that's, to me, going to be a very, very important um, matchup. Vernon didn't have uh, a great week. Um, he's, he's been playing great basketball all year. This past week was probably his worst week at Duke. Um, uh, it, you know, we, we already mentioned in the Clemson game, He's probably gonna gonna find himself on on you know Amir Sims and he are gonna be battling a lot and then we come to this Louisville game where the Cardinals you know they make a living out of not letting you get two point shots in the paint um, so this is a big week for Vernon Carey uh, we've been hearing a lot of Player of the Year talk about him we've been hearing lots of talk you know is Vernon Carey playing his way into being a lottery pick next year in the draft. For those things to happen, I think these two games and especially this Louisville game. Are, are going to be, you know, absolutely essential tests of how far he's progressed, how good he is, how much he's able to control the inside in a college basketball game. And then the other thing to note is this is going to be big time. Um, ESPN game day is going to be at Cameron for this game. It's going to be the focus of ESPN's coverage all day long. Um, you know, I, Louisville is one of those teams that people say is absolutely a national title contender. And they've already picked up one loss in the ACC. And you know they don't want to pick up another one. If they fall two games behind Duke, they don't have. They only got one game against Duke this year. And um, for them, if they pick up a second loss, they want to uh, hold that tiebreaker. Yeah, I mean that's what they're looking at. They're looking at tiebreakers, and if whoever wins this game will hold the tiebreaker over the other uh, when it comes to the end of the season. Yeah, this this is a this is a really really big deal game for both teams. But uh, but for for Louisville, you know, it's the kind of game where if they lose it. You kind of you start to go, okay, you know, I'm not sure I can figure out how you guys win the ACC at this point. Um, not to say it'd be impossible, but it, but it looks like a real long shot for them if if they lose this game. So it's it's a big one, um, arguably the biggest game of the season. So probably almost certainly the biggest game of the season so far. About a month ago, you'll recall uh, before we played Michigan State and Virginia Tech in the same week. I charged Javin Delorier to have a good week, and he responded. Not that he listens to this podcast. Maybe he does, but he had a great week because we needed that from him for those two games. This week, Jack White is going to be that guy because if Jack White can come off the bench and provide great defense and cover uh, against Clemson and also in this game against Louisville because of the physicality, we're going to need somebody like him on the, on, the, on the wings and in the post. If he can have a big week, that means Duke goes 2-0. Yeah, and, and I think he will probably find himself matched up some of the time on Jordan Wara, mm-hmm. um, which is, uh, you, you pointed out, uh, we talk about the head of the snake. There's no question Jordan Wara is the biggest head of the biggest snake we faced all year if the Blue Devils are able to frustrate him. I think Cassius Stanley probably gets him a lot, and I think Jack White will get him some. Cassius um, Stanley would be an interesting matchup because he's big enough to go with him on the, on the, uh, uh, on the wing, and he's athletic enough to stay with him. So that actually is a pretty good shout that I – I would see Cassius Stanley being on him for certain periods of the game just to throw some extra flavor at him. And if we want to really bang him and kind of and kind of be physical with him, that's when Jack White comes in. 
I like it. I like it. It'll, it's going to be fun to look forward to. This edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by our wonderful friends at the law firm of Bird Campbell, Bird Campbell, PA. They have law offices in Florida and Texas, a business-focused law firm founded by two former Duke roommates. Boy, we really hope if you have legal needs in either of those states that you will reach out to them at B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. Bird Campbell means business. It is time for us to put the whole week together and sum it up in just a couple words with our player of the week picks, Donald, Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, one close win, one big win. Who you got as your player of the week? I'm going with the captain, Trey Jones. Uh, He was efficient on offense. He was stellar on defense. He was aggressive uh, against Wake Forest with a shot. He was able to do just about anything he wanted this week, and he's a no-brainer for me, player of the week. Yeah, I'm going to make it two for two on that. Um, he was our leading scorer in both games. Uh, play, uh, you know, played his typical stellar, absolutely phenomenal defense as well. Um, so Trey Jones is absolutely. There's no question about it. Trey Jones is the player of the week. I do want to give a little shout out to my boy Jordan Goldwire, who we talked about what a great game he had against Georgia Tech against Wake Forest. He scores ten points. He has six assists. Uh, by the way, he was the only guy on the team to play thirty minutes. The 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 minute distribution against Wake Forest is crazy. Like. Everybody played at least 15 minutes, and no one played more than 30. Jordan Goldwire played 30 minutes. By the way, the reason that Jordan Goldwire played more than anybody else, so Jordan has played his way into being a starter, but when Trey goes out, we, when we bring in the subs, you know, we're more sort of like at the end of the game when it's a blowout, um, we, you, have to have your, you have to have your backup point guard, your second-string point guard in there. Well, Jordan, sure <laughs> Jordan is a starter <laughs> and the backup point guard. So, like, when can you take him out? I don't know when he can come out of the game. So Jordan Goldwire played 30 minutes against Wake Forest, the only guy on the team to play more than 28. It was a classic balanced game. Uh, and and Jay Gold had a – he just had a huge week, a great a great week. He's the – when we talk about cutting the head off the snake, he's the guy who does the cutting. Earn, but, uh, earn, the, shout out, earn the shout-out yeah. from Coach K in the press conference too, which you know that, that speaks a lot. He had a hell of a week. And we move on now to parting shots. Donald, I know what your parting shot is. It's a good one. Okay, so I have one parting shot that I'm going to do, and then I'm also go- we're also going to do one, Jason, that's going to be a combined one because we have to discuss it. So we're going to save that one for the last one. This first one is one that is something that we were going to talk about a couple weeks ago, but we just gonna, didn't get a chance to. It was the J.J. Reddick podcast a few, I guess it was about a week ago. Uh, and Zion Williamson, his current teammate uh, of the New York, New Orleans Pelicans, was on the podcast. And on it, he mentioned some things. He talked about his Duke career, but he mentioned something very interesting. He mentioned that if it was up to him, we would be watching Zion Williamson in a Duke uniform this year. But it was Coach K that told him to leave. Um, so basically, uh, if there's a YouTube clip, you can obviously listen to the podcast. It's a long podcast, but there's a YouTube clip of about three and a half minutes that explain that that covers this little segment. And in it, he talked about his process and how he basically said up until the day that he had to declare, he was saying, I'm coming back. He talked and, to and his, his, 
His mother was on board with it. She was like, his okay, mother was on board with really it. His, ste- his stepdad was on board with it. Everyone wait, wait, was on wait, board. Wait, 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 wait. Actually, what he said was his mother was on board. He then spoke to his stepfather and he spoke to Coach K. He doesn't, he doesn't make it clear, but it sounds like his stepfather was like, what you talking about, Zion? Well, <laughs> so he did talk about it a little bit. So he said Coach K was like, you know, you should go. He even said his teammates were like, hey, yo, it'd be dope, obviously, to have you back. Uh, but we get that this is kind of a deal where you – probably should be leaving his teammates were even saying maybe you, you know we get it whatever you decide obviously we want you back but we get it it was his mom and his stepdad talked and they basically said hey you literally have been working for this moment since you were four years old why would you wait a year to re- to capture this moment and i think that was what really put him over the edge and, and kind of said okay i guess i'll leave now uh but my god we we were this close to having <laughs> Zion Williamson come back for a sophomore season. Jason, I don't even want to comprehend what that would do to college basketball, the world axis, the universe. Um, if Zion Williamson was just disrespecting, especially in this year's college basketball oh, landscape. Oh, unfair. It'd be <laughs> unreal. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting nugget uh, from that podcast. Again, the JJ Reddick podcast is, is part of the Ringer uh, network. He does one every week or every couple of weeks. And it's actually very, very cool. You should check it out when you get a chance. He has some cool guests on it. A lot of the Duke Brotherhood is in there alluding to my next parting shot, which I'll do after you. Jason. We'll get to that in a minute. Okay, so I want to comment about something about this. So what Zion said was, I wanted to come back. Well, here's the reality. I want to eat ice cream pie and steak at every single meal every single day. But you know what? That doesn't mean it's a good idea. And it doesn't mean that I'm really considering it as a way of leading my life. Zion wanted to come back, but the reality is he could not. There's just no way. And I want to put it to you this way. Um, Donald, have you seen Zion Williamson in an NBA game yet this year? Uh, preseason, but that's about it. Yeah. Can you imagine how depressing how horrible it would be if he had come back and he had been hurt and he had missed, I don't know, the whole, not who, maybe not the whole season, but it, even just what's happened so far up until now. Mm-hmm. It, it, it would, so it would be a pervasive storyline across all of college basketball. When's he coming back? When's he coming back? When's he coming back? It would dominate the Duke team. It would dominate the Duke conversation. We would have had 19 emergency podcasts on it the other day <laughs> when he. The other day when he in the preseason, you know, did, uh, the, the before the Knicks game the other day, by the way. Yeah. Did you see him with RJ? Yes. He that, was RJ awesome. Barrett, that was just so good. I mean, those guys love each other so much. Yeah. We would have, uh, you know, he would have gone out before the Georgia Tech game and, and done a practice between the legs dunk. And we would have had to do an emergency podcast immediately to talk about it. We would it. have to do it, it have, like before the game. <laughs> yeah. It would have dominated everything. Um, but it wouldn't have dominated it in like a good, fun, exciting way. It would have been freaking depressing. It would have been awful and it would have there would have been a million and 50 hot takes about how coach k kept this kid in school and then he got hurt and potentially damaged his whole career people be talking about it can you imagine if you know he never gets to play and never gets his hundreds of millions of dollars uh it, it just you know god would i love to have him of course it would be heaven it would be amazing seeing him another second in a duke uniform is just uh, you know a, could a you imagine? Could you imagine Zion and Cassius Stanley competing for like who's going to oh. jump out of the gym the highest? <laughs> like would, Trey Jones would throw the ball and he they'd be like in the air doing rock paper scissors. Like 
Uh, I got scissors. You got paper. Okay, I get. I get this one. You would. You would never. Tickets to Duke games would be impossible. Yeah. But but uh, you know all this fantasizing aside, all this I want this, I want that aside, the reality is Zion Williamson was looking at far 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 too much money. Um, he signed he signed a record breaking contract. Jordan Brand has made him the face of their brand. Um, he couldn't. He couldn't turn it down. It, it just it wasn't possible. And it wouldn't have been a wise decision, as we've seen by this injury that, that obviously isn't that bad. And New Orleans is being abundantly careful. And I think we will be doing an emergency podcast sometime in the next week or two because he will have returned. But um, uh, we've seen from this injury that, that you can't turn that kind of thing down. You just can't. All that said, God, I love that Zion so enjoyed his time at Duke. So loved the brotherhood, so loved the staff, so much felt that he was learning and growing that he wanted and wished it could last longer. That, to me, is as valuable as anything he said. Um, and, and, you know, it, if I was Coach K, when I'm out there recruiting any super stud player, I'd go, you know what? Hey, let me play this little YouTube clip for you. Zion Williamson almost turned down $100 million so that he could spend another year with me. What, what do you think a year with me is worth? Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you you took the words right out of my mouth because that part, he talked a little bit about, you know, when he him and RJ were talking, he said that when they were discussing going pro, they were talking with Coach K and Coach K was talking about, you know, how they would adjust to being on opposite teams. And he was like, he, he talked about all this stuff and he goes, you see, like, I wasn't even there a couple months. You, you guys see how much I learned in that three months span now you understand why i didn't want to leave that is the best recruiting video you could ever have coach k is just gonna you know just have that on his phone and just pull that up real quick oh let me just call let me just call zion and 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 see how he's doing that speaks volumes about just how much they like the program and honestly like you don't hear that very often all these guys that are leaving they talk about how it's a business and i need to take the next step in my career and yada 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 but he was talking about how much he absolutely loved his experience at Duke and how literally, like you said, he was this close to just saying, I'm just going to do it again. And that is something that when everyone talks about, oh, we're just a, a factory machine for the NBA, guys don't stay there, they don't unpack their bags. It's clear that Zion Williamson did, and it's clear that he loved the, the six months that he had on campus. All right, time for my parting shot, and I want to talk a little bit about student athletes at, at Duke University. Um, and Duke is, I still believe, there are a lot of people out there who are going to laugh, a lot of people who are going to scoff at me, a lot of rival fans are going to say, you're crazy. I still believe that Duke has student athletes. Um, Niche, which is a, a college ranking service, uh, an online you know thing where people rank all kinds of colleges in different categories and stuff such they came out with their 2020 rankings of their best colleges and they said that duke university is the number one school the best school in the country for student athletes and i want to highlight the student side of that um last year there were 17 different varsity athletic teams at duke university that had a hundred percent graduation rate and i'm not talking small time teams i'm talking about the men's basketball team I'm talking about the lacrosse team that's you know competing for a title every year. I'm talking about the soccer team that's competing for a title every year. I'm talking about the, the tennis teams that are competing for titles every single year. 17 Duke teams had a 100% graduation rate. Duke set an ACC record last year. 
519 student athletes, 519 Duke student athletes made the ACC honor roll, which means they had a grade point average of 3.0 or higher. I didn't know we had that many student athletes on campus. I didn't know that we had more than that because they're insinuating that there were some that didn't make it. Right. Yeah. That that's an insane number. 519 Duke student athletes had GPAs higher than 3.0 and made the ACC academic honor roll. Again, the top school in the country for student athletes. We on this podcast celebrate the success of our teams, um, you know, on the court, on the field. But we should absolutely also be discussing and celebrating the success of our teams in the classroom. Um, Duke does it differently than a lot of the big schools out there. And I am eternally proud and happy that that's what we're able to achieve. By the way, at the same time as we were the number one school in the country for student athletes, the same time we were setting an ACC record for the number of academic honor roll selections, Duke finished ninth in the Director's Cup standings, meaning our overall athletic program, all the programs that we have. We were the ninth best program in the country in terms of sending you know, athletes and teams to NCAA tournaments and winning NCAA titles, the women's golf team won its seventh NCAA title last year. By the way, that women's golf team, 100% graduation rate. It's it's incredibly impressive. No, it really is. And I'm glad you brought up this in particular. But, I mean, just think about the fact that we are a team. We're a school that's a top 10 school in the country, top eight, according to U.S. News and World Report. Actually, actually, Niche says we're number six in the country. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, depending on the rating service, you're, we're top 10, top eight, top five, whatever that is, right? We're, we're one of the best schools, period, in the country. And then add that, that we have such a great academic or athletic program in all these sports, and they're still doing both, right? Like, it's not like we have guys that are coming here and, you know, you know goofing around and going to art class for a couple of weeks and then going, you know, going pro in their perspective things. These guys are playing the game at a high level. They're, pl- they're, they're excelling at their craft, both on the field and in the classroom. There's no place like it. That's why I love this school. Amen, brother. Okay. Last parting shot. I know what you want to talk about. I love it. Oh yeah. Y'all didn't think we were, we would have forgot that last night Duke dropped its fifth Jersey of the season. And this one, my friends, is probably the best one of them all. I love uh, it. It was fantastic. Uh, it was a navy blue jersey. Uh, so we wore navy blue at home, which is something that, to my recollection, we, have, we haven't done in decades. Uh, but we also, it was a Duke jersey. It was styled as the Brotherhood jersey. And they unleashed the video yesterday, right before the game. It was like a three-and-a-half-minute video that had Everybody like 90, you can like name. like 90 guys in that video. Everyone you can name from from Nolan Smith, Coach K, to our boy Kenny Denard, to Luke Kennard, all the way up and down and around. Any, Everyone hey, was any, a part of this. Anytime you got Kenny Denard and Luke Kennard in the same video, exactly. you're winning. You're, you're winning, 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 winning. <laughs> it's one of those things where it was a – so let me get back to jerseys. The navy blue jersey, it's styled similarly to the jerseys that we've had – introduced this year but it's all navy blue and instead of the normal block duke across the across the front it was the gothic font duke across the front that you see on a lot of shirts of the bookstore you even see on some caps the 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 gothic d fantastic fantastic work by 
by the coaching staff or by the program, by Nike to put this together and to do something that I thought played really well. Now, would I like to see this like worn every single game? Probably not. I think this is a good alternate jersey that you break out once or twice a year to kind of honor that tradition, that brotherhood brand that they has they have formed. But what a classy jersey. And honestly, they looked terrific in them and they oh, played yeah. well in them too. I mean, that is the best case. If if you guys haven't seen it, just turn on the game last night. You'll see it's all over. Kudos to everybody who was involved in putting that together. And now there's still one more jersey out there that they have not yet worn. I can't wait to see what it is because if it's going to top this, yeah, we got a we got a winner. Yeah. Now, so some of the other ones that they've that they've broken out, I've sort of looked at. It, I'd be like, uh, is that different? I, I don't, you know, I don't really necessarily see that much of a difference. I think there's one of them that it had like a little bit of gold piping on the back and at the collar. Yeah, it was gray. It was gray. Yeah, yeah. that's the yeah, that's I, the Coach K one. That's the goat, right. the goat jersey. Yeah. Yeah, which, which is fine. It's cool. But I was like, okay, it's not that different. This was different. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that Gothic Duke lettering stood out. And I loved in the little video, you talked about the three and a half minute video, that they, they took highlights from past Duke games, classic moments from Duke history, and they superimposed. They did some nice Photoshop or whatever. You know, it's not Photoshop. Mm-hmm. It's some other program. Um, I'm, I'm not good enough with video editing to know what they did. But they, they superimposed that New Jersey on some classic moments. It looked hype. It was, I mean, it was awesome. It was, it was the Duke blue planet has always been the best in the business. Uh, And their game, their game yesterday, they took it to a whole nother level. I think one thing that you also kind of look at when you're looking at these, obviously the fans were like, Oh my God, this is great. They were just like, put this in the store. Let me buy 50 of them. The players, all were chiming in it. on on social media, and they were like, I mean, Emil Jefferson was like, "Yo, why, why ain't call me for the video?" Like, I mean, those sort of things were like, guys were actively involved, and the fact that this jersey was to them, and it's and it felt like it spoke to them. A plus, A plus plus, and, and and it's all about. Look, they said this is the Brotherhood jersey. They are doing such a great job of building this the brotherhood brand and what it means. They talk about it all the time. You can tell that Coach K, uh, here, here's a here's a newsflash. Coach K is a smart guy. Um, he recognizes that this brand means something and that uh, th- there's a reason why every single time a kid commits to Duke, he talks about joining the brotherhood and being a part of the brotherhood. And I think Coach K recognizes that in this era where most of his best players are going to be there for one year, maybe two, that binding them together with something um, is is good for the program. It's good for them to feel like they're part of something bigger. Um, it's just smart marketing and smart brand building. And uh, the brotherhood is just, uh, it's out of control at this point and in a very, very good way. So I feel like some of the guys knew that this jersey was coming, or at least what it was going to look like, because that first of all, the team also got new shoes. They got new Kyrie shoes to pair with this jersey. It was like a gray and, and navy blue shoe uh, based on Kyrie's current model shoe. But also, Jason Tatum made his own shoe and wore it last night and went off for 41 points. So obviously, these guys were really excited to be a part of this launch and they all felt it too, and and they played well. If they were wearing similar uh, colors with their shoes, they were having great games in the NBA. So this is something that really went well beyond uh, just the normal jersey launch. It really captivated an, a, a whole audience, and really the people that it was geared towards 
honoring all loved it. it it's it was perfect in every single way so that's going to wrap it up for us here on the duke basketball report podcast fun week of podcasting a couple of very successful games for the blue devils we will be back next week probably after that louisville game big big game folks be looking forward to that for donald wine in washington dc i am jason evans in atlanta for sam klein somewhere in bangkok sam we hope you haven't just disappeared forever into the city that we get you back at some point. We're going to go to, we're going to, we're going to go to, we're going to go to Bangkok. We're going to have a hangover four, and it's going to be Jason and I going over to find him and bring him (laughs) home. There you go. There you go. I know Fuqua wants Sam back. Hopefully he'll be back with us next week. Until then, Duke band, take us home. The golden age of travel is back in the Palm Beaches. Relax on sun-kissed beaches with cleaner sands and fewer crowds. Experience the original, the one, the only, the Palm Beaches. Plan your trip at thepalmbeaches.com.